everyone. Welcome to Name Drop San Diego, a podcast from the San Diego Union Tribune. I'm Christy Totten, your host, along with Abby Hamblin. On this podcast, we get to know people in, around, and from San Diego. We've talked to astronauts like Ellen Ochoa, musicians like Elon Rubin of Nine Inch Nails, scientists like Eric Topol, and many others. Our goal is to learn more about the people who shape our region. Our guest today is Roxana Velasquez. She's the executive director of the San Diego Museum of Art, where she's overseen collections, education, and technology for the past decade. Roxana is an expert in curation, and under her watch, the museum has gained international recognition. Before coming to San Diego, she led world-class museums in her hometown of Mexico City. She's a passionate advocate of the arts, and that really shows through when she's talking about her line of work. Abby hosted Name Drop Solo this week, and I will be back next week. We hope you enjoy. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a very kind of obviously challenging time in the art world. Um, we just first wanted to start by asking, how are you doing and how is the museum itself doing? Thank you so much. Indeed, I, I believe since March of last year, we are facing the most challenging times probably in our generations. I don't remember something so trying and so uh, challenging as I said. Um, but, but you know, I, I always uh, thought that only in those challenges is when our real personality thrives. I mean, if you are going to be a good professional or you love what you do or you are whomever you are in life, it's the moment of challenges when you have to rise up. So uh, with that, of course, uh, moving a museum, the San Diego Museum of Art uh, right now and having almost 140 employees plus trustees, plus 6,000 volunteers, plus 70 docents. I mean, I'm keeping up with the people and the spirit of this relevance of what we do has been my task since March. I mean, and, and with nonstop as, as you could guess. Yeah, I think that's relevant. That's uh, apparent in the way the museum has shifted to kind of offer so much virtually. I, I, I find that the pandemic era has really offered kind of exposure that people can't always get if they can't make it to the museum or travel. Um, many events are more open to everyone. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit. Um, I actually took the virtual tour on the app yesterday, but some of the things you all have done uh, to sort of make the museum available during the pandemic. So, so every time since I started working in the arts, my, uh, my creed, my idea has to be, uh, has to, be uh, to convert myself in a bridge, if you will, between the art and the people. I tried to bridge those things. Obviously the pandemic allowed us to access multiple, multiple people, mosaics around the world. And our numbers are very impressive. Of course, we started the app a long time ago, six years ago, as you know, we started with these exercises of augmented reality. We started giving lectures online, but now we really robusted the program. Mm -hmm. and, and I have examples for you like, and, and impressive numbers like how many attendees or viewers or listeners are there? And one example, just because easy for me to remember, is the lecture every year. I start the lecture series of the museum in September. We have 10 in a row. It's organized by the docents. And 
every year in the best case scenario, the auditorium of the museum is full with 380 people, 380 and it's sold out and it's our space at capacity and probably afterwards is observed by 150 more. But this lecture in September that I gave was uh, observed by almost 1400 people and all over the world, because you could track wow. if they are in Spain, if they are in France, if they are listening to you in Latin America, or just here in Tijuana, or you know, in San Diego. So that, that really is very inspiring. But the same happens with the tours, the virtual tours, the walk through the, the galleries of the museum. And we were doing this kind of exercises with a FaceTime before the pandemia, I'm talking, because we were always thinking in the people that were, for example, hospitalized, ill, disease or critical you know, patients, we were trying to take these experiences and we were uh, doing those kind of, of, of exercises with Guru, our, our company of virtual reality. But now, you know, it is a reality. It's the real reality. We see every single day people accessing to our 360, for example, experience that we have among the, the, those galleries, or we have the minute podcast that explains you a masterpiece and why you see it a masterpiece. Because as you know, the, the problem with the arts, and let's talk about the visual arts in this moment, which is obviously the art museum, uh, it's that people think, I really don't know about that. You know, I don't know who's Rembrandt, or you talk about Sanchez Cotan, I've never heard the name, nor I am able to pronounce it. So why <laughs> would I be excited by that? But something created in the Baroque time or in the contemporary world that I don't even like because it's disgusting. To, <laughs> the beauty has been removed in many cases. And as you know, it's kind of a, a challenging art for so many populations. So our role is exactly to translate that and to bridge those gaps and via the apps or the virtual platforms, it has been phenomenal. So looking into that, measuring that, you know, you know, here we measure everything, how many people, where they come from, the zip codes, what is their background? So we tend to census, the census is in, in embedded in our culture. So uh, it has allowed me to really uh, feel that that eagerness of, for art, is in the people. It's not only me, like a passionate woman for the arts of my life, that it's always talking to you like this, but it is there. And, and I was, uh, I have been participating in multiple forums, probably you have followed that, but this last year was uh, almost crazy. <laughs> panels in Europe, panels in the United States, speaking about all the very important elements like social justice or diversity or the accessioning art. I mean, there has been a lot of, I would say red flags or hot topics in, in the art world. And I have been invited to talk, but my excitement is to see how many attendees are there. You know, in a regular time, you would expect, okay, it's good if, I, if 15 people join, but now you count them in the thousands, which is amazing. So, so yes. What particularly got you into art? You know, you talked about how you've dedicated your life um, to this industry and this field and what it means to people, but how'd you get into it? So, so I'm really uh, very, very fortunate because I was surrounded by art since I was born. Right, I was, uh, I grew up in Mexico City and, uh, and of course the art there is all over, right? It's on the streets, it's, uh, and, and uh, I had the, the real fortune to have uh, parents that love and, underst and understood very well the relevance of art. 
So they appreciate concerts and, and piano. I studied piano, classic piano, as my siblings did. You know, that was a regular thing to do. And attending to museums and visiting pre-Columbian ruins and temples or 20th century masterpieces or convents was our every week. There was no option. And the schools also took you to museums. That was part of the curriculum. Right. And it comes obviously from my parents, from the place I was educated and grew up. Right. But also comes uh, from the real uh, fundamental constitution of the country. Right. In the Mexican constitution, the culture and art is a right to every citizen. So it is inscribed there. And the same happens in Europe. I've worked with many cultural ministries, I'll tell you, Europe or Asia or Latin America, and it comes from there, right? From the French model that culture was to educate the citizens. And it was really a bet, right? They had to, to think like that because they wanted to have an educated community. So that obviously transcends into uh, Mexico and Latin America and, and obviously from Spain as well. So I, I, I believe that uh, I, I discovered that very early and uh, through my parents, through my own visits to museums with wonderful tour guides. But when I was very young, when I was almost 17 years old, not even, I saw an, a huge exhibition at the Palacio de Bellas Artes, the fine arts palace in Mexico City, which is the most important, the icon for the arts in Mexico, right? And it houses uh, concerts and symphonies and literature and poetry and of course a museum with murals, these big murals by Diego Rivera and Orozco. And uh, I visited an exhibition there uh, that came from the Prado Museum in Madrid. Remember Mexico City is the capital, so there was a lot of exchanges in, with the next cultures of the world. So Madrid sent this exhibition and I was contemplating pieces by Goya, the great Goya and the Maja, so the Maja, the naked Maja and the dress Maja, these portraits of the Duchess of Alba. And I was so impressed to be able to see that. It was 80 oils from the Prado, the number one museum in the world for me currently today. I'm talking years after, that's the best museum for me if you ask me, right? My favorite, no doubt. It has an impressive amount of paintings from all over the world. That's a great question. We should have definitely asked you that. So it's good to hear that. <laughs> So, so the Prado sent this collection, and I was at that fine arts palace, which is this amazing, enormous building, Art Nouveau and Art Deco, with again five stories and the great couples and, and, and the acoustics and the Tiffany curtain there. And I mean, when you get to that place, it's a real palace. So I thought, oh my goodness, this is what I want to do in my life. I really want to be able to communicate with the people through the arts and that space was so packed, you know, so packed and, and, and so moving for me to observe the excitement that people from every, uh, every walks of, of life were feeling. And I thought I do love art, but what I love the most is to communicate the power of art. And that's what I wanna be doing. And I was 17 and of course, then I studied art history and then I started masters in art and then Years after I became the director of that place. <laughs> you really, truly, I mean, to have grown up and had that impact you and then to work in some of the greatest museums in the country of Mexico. I mean, what a journey it's been for you. 
Um, and I wondered, do you have any, for people who aren't familiar with, you know, Mexico's contributions to the art world, um, do you have a favorite moment from working in some of those um, museums that, or a favorite ex exhibit or just something to kind of help people understand, you know, how, how amazing the museums are there? Definitely. You know, Mexico uh, as a country, but Mexico City, let's talk about that. Let's start by saying that 25 million people live there. 25 million people. So the pace is very different, right? We have to understand that. And the museums are more than, than 1,200 museums just in the city, 1,200. Amazing. But more importantly here, the museums come from Europe's tradition, right? So they are national spaces. And imagine here, those of you that are listening to me, the Smithsonian. It's the concept of the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. So there are museums that have funds from the federal government. That's why they are called national. And they are free to the people. That those are the spaces that are open to educate the people, everybody. So that is where I come. We will hear me talk about this a lot. But the museums, for example, the first museum I started working in 1990, you know, very early, it was the National Museum of San Carlos, the Museo Nacional de San Carlos, who uh, was the first museum created in all the Americas, right? It was created in 1781. 1781, you're having this enormous museum together with the School of Arts with pieces by Rubens and Goya and, and, and Zurbaran and obviously the Mexican Diego Rivera. And, and that museum is in a space, in a neoclassical space, a building of the 18th century with, an in, with a beautiful iconic patio, all with a stone. And it's an elliptic patio, very neoclassic style. So you just arrive there and start observing these European collections because in Mexico museums are divided by collections. So that was my first museum. My background, my personal background is as curator of old masters, Spanish, Flemish, Italian. That's where I obviously studied. But other museums are called the National Museum. For example, the Museum of National Art, which is only Mexican art. 16th century, 17 and 18, the colonial period. Or you have the modern museum of art, which starts in 1950 and goes all the way to the contemporary art. But these are enormous buildings. So when I say enormous, uh, I well, let me just get back to San Carlos. I was the youngest director ever in any museum. And that's why I feel so fortunate. I was not 30 years old yet, when I became the director of the San Carlos Museum. So what happens in Mexico is that the culture is part of the social fabric. It's not a separated thing where we're gonna go visit. So for example, if you had the presence of presidents or Dalai Lama or distinguished visitors, they always ended in one of these buildings, which are truly palaces and, and spaces that of course, were used for governmental purposes, if you will. So anyhow, that was there. That was uh, my, my museum as director, as directorship took me to Europe a lot because my collection there was only European. So connections with Italy, with France, with Poland, you know, with Hungary and every government was inviting us and exchanging exhibitions or we were providing with art to the world. 
there's also the pre-Columbian moment, the anthropological museum, where you have the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Toltecs and all these pieces that probably you have seen exhibited around the world, even, even in Washington. So we organize that to send them to abroad and have these kind of exchanges. So for me, again, that was my daily life. I had the privilege of being director, appointed director and worked for the, for the, for the national government there. And then I moved to the, the National Museum of Art, which was also a, a fabulous place. It's just unbelievable, four times bigger than San Carlos. I had 450 employees there. But then my third museum was the Fine Arts Palace, the iconic white enormous building that everybody probably has seen, at least an image. And it houses the murals by Diego Rivera and Diego Rivera or Orozco, which are murals that, as you very well know, are here in California all over, Ramos Martinez or in San Francisco. So, um, so my, one of my most impressive moments, if I have had so many working for 20 years in Mexico, not as director, but obviously as a young curator, assistant curator, curator, and all the way up, uh, but, but then it was observing the Frida Kahlo exhibition that I organized in 2007 that brought 50,000 people in one day. 50,000 people wow. in one day. That's kind of my record. <laughs> That's like a concert about... or like a Super Bowl or something. <laughs> wow. Exactly. And that was Frida. But the same token, if I tell you about Magritte or Dali or Rubens or what have you. So, so what's important there? Is it the numbers? No, it's really the possibility of taking to the people the best art that has been created and allowing people to be delighted, seduced, you know, intrigued by this pieces of art or stories of culture that others like us have done. And obviously I do believe that the more educated a community is, the better the place for all of us will be. It's amazing. You can really hear in your voice that the description of what you said about when you were a young person and really caught the the feeling for art and wanting to do this for your life, you can tell how you really are doing that with what you do every day. And I hope everyone understands the kind of gravity of what we now have with having you here in San Diego. It's literally like the Smithsonian uh, director now works here in San Diego. So I wondered if you could talk about what brought you to San Diego and kind of what inspires you here and maybe how you bring that kind of global influence into what we get to see here at the San Diego, here, right here in Balboa Park. Definitely. So, so working from, the, from Mexico, of course, I had been working with my colleagues in the United States and in Europe. So I was part of the Association of Art Museum Directors way back when, since 2004. I hosted all the American museums in my own museums there. So I connected, of course, with the ways to work here and exchange and gave lectures. So I had been invited before to, to come to the States and work. I had been before, but just your personal life and the moments, right, have to be the right one. Mm -hmm. So I never accepted. But when, um, when the, the headhunters from New York <laughs> called me for the position in the Balboa Park, in the San Diego Museum of Art, I was very intrigued because working with hundreds, and I say hundreds, it's real hundreds of museums in the world, I had never heard about the San Diego Museum of Art. I mean, like, what is the San Diego Museum of Art really in the international world? Mm -hmm. It must be a very nice place in Balboa Park, but, but you know, I, it was not part of my classical Rolodex, right? <laughs> to put it in that way, or networking. But, uh, but I came and visited because I consider 
that that is the biggest joy. When you have a stone that could become a diamond, (laughs) that's the place right I was very happy to be in the biggest museums in Mexico and the most important one right which is Bellas Artes but my work was done right so how could I start doing something for a place that could have a lot of potential would really intrigue me of course several things the proximity with Mexico it's obvious to be in a binational region, to be able to work for both countries at the same time and to attract our Hispanic audiences, but also the European ones, because due to my obviously expertise and collections, we could bring the people and position San Diego in a very different way. And, and that, of course, those are virtues that are amazing, but the real moment came when I crossed the doors and I saw the collection and I discovered Goya, and I discovered Zurbanan and Soroya, and the collection of Indian miniature paintings, the best in the world outside New Delhi. And I start unveiling the Japanese 800 engravings, the 25,000 works of art. And I said, I mean, we, these needs to be communicated and shout about Yeah, <laughs> This is spectacular. So obviously the fact that we're a multicultural community the fact that you have the Iranian community, the Asian community, the Southeast Asian, the Latino community, obviously intrigue me because I am used to work in that cosmopolitan manner, if you will. So, so I thought there's a lot to be done here. And when the board offered me the job, I was really delighted and, and really thankful. And I think it is, it's been a joy. It's been a great journey of 10 years already here. And I cannot tell you, but I am very satisfied with the things we have been accomplishing. But the the most important thing is that we increase the audiences. We created specific uh, um, conversations for certain communities and we open up the museum in a very different scale. Beginning with efforts like freeing up the entrance for 17 and under, right? We did not charge entrance because if you can avoid certain barriers, we should try to do it. But again, we are not done yet, but many things have changed. And one of those is the app. We started this conversation talking about the virtual things. It did not exist when I arrived, right? There was not that. Or acquiring pieces for the community as a way of having a legacy, a real legacy. We've acquired and added to the museum almost 3,000 words of art in the last 10 years, 3,000. My goodness, those are numbers yeah. <laughs> that when I see it, I, I, I have goosebumps myself. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to ask about that. You do oversee the curation there and I wondered what are some of the guiding principles or what do you look for when you add pieces? Indeed, uh, first of all, you uh, start by seeing what do you have in your collection? What are the strengths? Because not every museum has the same quality, right? Or the mm-hmm. same amount of things. The San Diego Museum of Art is the, with a capital T, the Museum of Art for San Diego. And it was created by our founders with uh, having the Spanish and the Hispanic art in mind. So if you see our building and you see Velázquez and Zurbarán and Rivera and El Greco, okay, carved on the facade. And if you always take a little minute to to think, this was inspired in Salamanca, Spain, in the university. There was a will to 
make understandable the richness of the Hispanic culture. So that is one. So I had to build on that strength. With those names, we're one of the best collections of Spanish art at, uh, outside Spain. You should know that. And of course, we all should be so proud because it's been recognized as such. And there are books published, I participated in all those. And it's about San Diego having that. But then you have the Indian, the Southeast Asia miniature paintings, which I knew nothing when I arrived here. I have to tell you, that's not my curator background, but by no means, but I did understand that we had to exhibit that collection because experts thought it was the best. So we took that collection to uh, multiple spaces, probably you already know, more than nine exhibitions in Canada and in Princeton Museum, in Thyssen in Madrid and Mexico City. So it's been seen now by millions of people, but we created that idea of connecting India. So we have the best uh, curators for Indian Islamic art and we had to build on that as well. So the acquisitions connect there, or of course, if it's not strength on strength, they have to, um, of course, bridge gaps, right? The contemporary art, for example, we cannot talk about art if we don't invite contemporary art artists to let us uh, and tell us what's going on in their minds. So we have invited artists from Ireland, from Spain, from Mexico to create works of art responding to our collection. And that has been another tremendous joy. Yes, I oversee curatorial and programs, but also administration. So I have two, of course, branches of the museum that work fabulous. And the team there, I have to tell you, is stellar. It's, it's all, of course, about my passion, but it's about my team that is really one of my biggest prides since I arrived here. Yeah, that's, I was going to ask you kind of what are the claims to fame or what would be the major things that you would say that our museum here is so good at. And so I think you answered that. Um, but I just, I, we love to get to know the people behind, um, you know, famous places or famous names here. And so I wanted to just get to know you a little bit better through asking you a question about a quote that you gave recently. Obviously, your career and your resume is incredible and even global. Um, but you said in an interview with the Union Tribune recently, my life has been devoted to art and to convincing people about the relevance of art. Art has given me absolute knowledge in the sense of humankind. When you study art, it's really a master class of humans. And I wondered through your career, what do you feel like you really understood about humans and about the people around you through being consumed through art? Yes, uh, definitely. It, it, well, first I started by telling you that artists are in a special category, right? If they are seventh heavens, right? If you think of Dante or classicism, literature, they are uh, in the upper scale of the thinkers, right? That's the way we have been presented. What I have learned through art is exactly, uh, you know, the opposite. The artists are regular people, common human beings as you and me and anybody, right? with a special talent and capacity to see things. But they are not these this gods that were born. They have a talent and they work through that. So that, first of all, we say it, instead of sacralizing, it's just bringing them to earth and trying to make them more approachable. There are special talents and we should look them as that. Of course, they are the best talents for me because that's what I am <laughs> attracted to. But all humans have vices and virtues. Everybody has a dark and a light side. You know, we all have fears and we all have to surpass challenges and we are 
very much alike. We all have hopes and, and there are things that scare us, no matter how you present yourself. So it, the art allows me to contemplate everybody in the same scale. You know, it really makes us humble. Everybody standing in front of the Guernica by Picasso is humbled or a great piece. It's not that I'm better than you or you're better than me or we're all so competitive in this world. We try to be the best and the best and our benchmark is the story. I always say, get to see a work of art and stand in front of it. And that really will reposition who we are as humans. So that is something that I try to say in that. And, and the masterclass is because when the pandemia started, we started observing all these terrible fears and the way people were spiritual or material or around the world, it touched us all. But when you were observing in, for example, in Spain, those singers that went out the balconies at five o'clock and sang a song to thank the nurses and the doctors, when you were hearing people reciting poetry just to give you some comfort or calm, no matter where you were, you start seeing that kind of, uh, obviously not selfishness, but the opposite, the real generosity that I trust is inside the human beings. You know, we are used to hear about the awful things, the tragic, the uh, terrible, the selfishness and all the things that are terrible. But I always say, why well, if we focus in the good things, we all would share them. Doesn't matter if I come from Mexico, was born in the States or, or you come from India and I have never been in Korea, doesn't matter. But there are things that are human and the art is the best piece of the of us, the humans. Yeah, with as someone with absolutely zero artistic ability, I really appreciate hearing that sort of like invitation even to, you know, participate more and, and feel welcome, you know, in the art world. Do you have a favorite exhibit or piece or medium that really moves you as a person who just loves art outside of your job? Uh, well, it's, the classical question that my, my staff asked me when it's time of vacations, when it was time of vacation or holiday, yeah. <laughs> where did you go? And I just smiled and I said, to visit museums. Yeah. <laughs> so I do spend my, my uh, free time, right, visiting museums of the world, listening to concerts and connecting the culture, right? Trying to see great um, theater performances and I tried to read, you know, and understand what was happening. So that is, I do not see the difference between my job and my passion or what my hobby or whatever you call it. And as I told you, uh, having studied piano for many years, and uh, unfortunately I don't play anymore, but I, I understand very importantly to connect those things, that music, the abstract art with the concrete thing like the spaces, the architecture or the paintings. And, and yes, I do. I love to, to visit collections and collectors. I am a collector of collectors. <laughs> so I, I, I love to, to see pieces that really move me and I'm surprised by those. But of course, my favorite place, as, as I, I told you, as a museum in the world is the Prado. And the, the reason is just being in front of masterpieces like, like Goya's right, the, the Goya's disasters of war uh, and seeing how humans were able to, to surpass that. But learning about technique and uh, skillfulness with the brushes or the drawings, or the pencils, it's something. But learning about historical moments 
the problems uh, humans uh, faced at the time and the joy they provoked by doing this kind of, of things. Just think of uh, the Guernica, which I've said so many times, but just imagine the bombing of that Basque country and eliminating the people in a very tragic and unfair way. And then it's the Guernica, the piece that everybody knows, doesn't matter who they are, right? But that's that kind of, of revolution. So yes, I, I am moved by, by multiple pieces and it depends in the century. The revolution of the Impressionists, obviously it's wonderful, the French Impressionists and the light, and, but, but also the Expressionism, right? The art between the wars, that art that was really crying about the beast that we could become if we don't care for the others between the First World War. When I show you Otto Dix or, well, we we're talking about Klimt or Mark, and you see those red and those faces, they are trying to wake up us. So it's about eliminating the indifference that we could have, you know? All our skin could be closed if you don't allow yourself to start learning, to start just observing, but again, not for a snobbish way, right? Just allow yourselves and we need to become part of that because San Diego deserves a museum like that that everybody should go and visit. And I think the iconic place, they are multiple, but should be the San Diego Museum of Art, just because of the location and the multiple works of art and communities that are represented there. I, I love to hear that because I think everyone's really looking forward to some of the kind of expression that can come hopefully after we put this pandemic behind us. I'm so excited for the music and the performances and just the inspiration that will come, as you said. Um, through going through hard times. So on that note, what can we, I just have two questions left for you. Um, what can we expect for the rest of 2021 or even just going forward from the museum? What are you looking forward to? So we, we are uh, working as always. We are providing lectures and tours every single day. Everybody could visit SEMA virtual and we are getting ready for the new exhibitions that will come. As you could imagine, we had to act very, very fast shift projects, exchange exhibitions. We did open for two months and a half, a big exhibition of Cam Garner's collection of photography, which is another wonderful gift that the museum has received, uh, a promised gift. But uh, we are preparing a, a, a project for June and, and let's all hope that June will be open uh, and the museums will get back to semi-normal, right? But uh, yes, we, are, we will bring an exhibition from France that it's called um, From Cranach to Canaletto, 80 works of art that have never left France. It's a private collector, the Bemberg family, and we will be able to see Veroneses, Tizianos, Canalettos, and, and this was in negotiations. And also in the contemporary world, we will bring the, the, the surprise of Ana de Aldear, which is a Spanish contemporary, extraordinary woman that paints with uh, pencil colors on paper, magnificent scenes of the universe. So you have that contrast on top of the 22 galleries that we have installed with German expressionism, Spanish art, Japanese masters, or even Toulouse-Lautrec. So remember, this is what I, I tried to tell everybody, what we own here in San Diego, what our donors and generous community has given us through the, the years, we're getting to our centennial, right, in 2026. But in those years, it was given for you. So it is always there. And, and also to let you know, it's in several languages. 
we give tours in eight languages, eight languages. <laughs> so my idea, our idea is of course, to be part of the city, to work very close and, and not only to look sponsorships, we all need sponsors. We all need obviously the funds. Everybody is desperate asking for that. I ask for partnerships. I love the concept of partnership. And I love the concept of thinking that the San Diego Museum of Art is the museum of everyone. I love that. And I feel that after talking to you, I, I feel like we could have like five more episodes just with you, not, not to mention three or four about your career in Mexico, but um, I just love hearing from you and learning from you. So thank you so much for uh, being a part of this. Our last question is we usually ask some, ask our guests to name drop someone else who deserves recognition or maybe the spotlight they don't normally get, um, who's meaningful to you or just deserves some attention. Is there someone here in San Diego that you would mention for your name drop? Oh, definitely, definitely. My, my colleagues in the, in the arts, I mean, are, are spectacular. Let me just immediately mention to you, uh, Marta Gilmer or Barry Edelstein. Awesome, thank Among you. many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would love to continue to bring more, um, you know, we, we have chefs and musicians and, and scientists, but the art world just has so many interesting and amazing people to offer and you being one of them. So thanks again for joining us today. Absolutely, Abby. Thank you so much and hope to see you at the museum. Thanks again for joining us for Name Drop San Diego. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on social media at NameDropSD and you can email us at NameDropSD at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your suggestions for who we should talk to next. Thanks again for joining us and see you next week.